Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. All right, friends, we're starting our Advent series. I'm going to take you through a number of different individuals in Scripture that were asked, called into, demanded of, that they wait for a long time. Really, this, this is a series on waiting. This is a series on God's nose. This is a series on God being silent. And when that happens, you all know what happens in your heart. When you're wanting something really, really bad, being asked to wait hurts. Being said no to hurts. And so if your relationship with God isn't developed to a healthy level, no's and waitings can cause you to almost reject faith. You're like, you know what, God, if you're not going to do this, then I don't trust you. I don't like you. I'm going to pull back. Advent, what's funny about this word is that we can look at this and our minds instantly go Christmas. And I don't want it to. I want your mind to think about what's coming. Advent traditionally is celebrating what happened. Advent is when the church gets together and we, we kind of embrace the Christmas season and we put a bunch of candles up and we light one each week for the four weeks preceding Christmas. But Advent, what it means is waiting for a notable person to arrive waiting for a notable person to arrive. So for some of you, Advent has always been a celebration of what happened. But what if, what if Advent is training for something that will happen? What if Advent is preparing you for difficult seasons in the future? See, God never wastes a waiting season. God never has you wait just because. God is always developing you and always making you into the person that will achieve great things later. So what if this Christmas season, you looked at Advent in a completely different way, and you said, I'm going to look at the way that I wait for Christmas in the same way that I wait for my king to return. Because scripture promises you, and it promises me, Jesus is coming back. But the problem is, is that me and you as Christians have been saying that same line, Jesus is coming back, for thousands of years. So even in our best moments, we start to not believe it. And we get scared and we get antsy and we get agitated. And so I want to look at what it is to wait, not just for our king, but to wait for other things that God says, you know what, this is a good thing, but I'm going to say no to you right now. I'm going to promise you things. I'm going to promise you beautiful things, but you're going to wait. I'm going to say no to you right now that I might say yes to you later, but you need to trust me in the meantime. So I want to start by asking the question, what are you waiting for? And we need to make this personal, friends, because I don't want you to dismiss this idea. What are you waiting for? More than that, how are you waiting? Because you all know we can wait in a healthy way or we can wait in an angsty, angry, sad, depressed kind of way. There's a good way to wait and there's a really bad, unhealthy way to wait. And where you see this in your life is when you start looking at things that you want and you've got this desire But then it's not coming, it's not coming, it's not coming. So that desire turns into a longing. And then it's not coming, and it's not coming, and it's not coming. And that longing turns into a pleading and a desperation. But then you just get tired. I mean, what was funny about this morning is I'm talking with a bunch of you, and and I, I, I was mentioning to a couple of my friends, it's funny how sometimes in the church when I start talking with people on a certain weekend, there's almost a collective emotion. Like there was a lot of people that were tired coming into this weekend. I'm looking at people and I'm like, how are you doing? They're like, good, but man, this was a long week. And maybe you came and you're super excited. You're like, actually, it wasn't a long week. It was a great week. That's fine. My point is this. 
we can get tired waiting for something that is good. Okay, and all of us begin at certain points to ask the question, like, God, when are you going to do for me what I want? And, and, and not in an angry way, but we start asking, like, God, I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all my friends, and they're dating, and I'm not. And look, I'm happy for them. I genuinely am. But when am I going to get my spouse? And so this good thing, right? Spouse is not a, a bad thing. Spouse is a great thing. And we start to go, God, like, should I not want this? Should I be single longer? Like, am I doing something wrong? But then in our scared moments, then we're not asking, are we doing anything wrong? We're like, God, I think you're doing something wrong. And something happens really dark when I start to believe that God is owed, owing me something and he's not paying up. And so some of you, you go inward and you start beating yourself up. Others of you, you go external. You're like, this is clearly somebody else's fault. This is someone else's sin's fault. This is God's fault. And we start ascribing to God character that isn't his. We're like, God, you're sneaky. No, he's not. God, you're a liar. No, he's not. God, you're cruel. No, he's not. You're just angry. There's something that you want that you're not getting. And when that happens, something real dark happens in here. And it's not just relationships. You, like for some of you, you look at the Christmas season and you're getting excited. You're like, I love my family. I love the winter break. I love my friends. Others of you are like, I hate Christmas break because it just means I got to go home. And I don't want to go home because my parents are mean. My parents are cruel. They fight all the time. They tease me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, and my parents think that I'm an idiot and that, you know, faith is something that weak people use as a crutch. So Christmas for some people is utter delight, and Christmas for others is really a season that kind of breaks you a little bit. But it could be other things. Like, I remember, like, when I was in college, what was really frustrating was education majors. And I know we got a lot in here, so I'm not saying that you're bad people. I love you. I'm just saying, in my pride... I was desperately jealous of education majors because education majors knew what they were doing. They're like, I got my plan. I know I'm going to do student teaching and I know the school I'm going to get and it's going to be great and I'm going to get a job. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, cool, man. Like I'm in ministry and I have no idea what I'm doing. There's, there's no promises. There's no incredible state funds for ministry majors. I mean, Lord knows we need it, but there's just not. And so in my fear that God wasn't going to gift me with an incredible job and purpose and meaning, I would look at others that had it and I would get really upset. See, some of you are in good majors. They're great. You love your school, but you're, you're still angry because you don't have the clarity of vision that others have. Or some of you are like, man, maybe I shouldn't have even gone to school. You're looking at people that didn't go and you're like, I'm kind of jealous of you right now. Even though when you think about it, you really do need to be in school. Others of you chose to go to school when you really shouldn't have at all. And you did it because this is what my family does. Like my family goes to college and it's like, did you ever ask God if you should? Is that his plan for you or are you just following a pre-written path that someone else wrote? You see, waiting can become unbelievably dangerous because when I start getting mad at God and I accuse him of things that he's never done or I say that I deserve something, then my faith is wounded. So this is what I want to talk about this morning is how in the world do I wait? And what's interesting to me is that when I look at the Christmas story, and again, we're doing this for five weeks, and every single story is someone that's waiting, someone that's been wounded, someone that's hurting or angry, someone that's been given an enormous task that they don't think they can do, but then there's always provision for the task. There's always an answer to why you were waiting. 
And so we're going to look at five different stories to ask ourselves, how can I be content when I'm waiting? God, how can you grow me? How can I submit to you? How can I go do amazing things if I would trust you? And so looking at this, we're going to be in your Bible in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Because, my friends, you bear a striking resemblance to the people of God in this story right now. So to give you a little bit of context of our story, yes, we're going to be talking about baby Jesus. Yes, we're going to be talking about, you know, Mary and Joseph and and others throughout these weeks that you're like, man, I know this story. I need you to suspend that part of your brain that's like, ugh, I've heard this before. Maybe you have. But Advent in the next five weeks is about you and me demanding of ourselves that we slow down that you slow down and and commit your mind to regular reading of God's word and to submitting to the new ideas he might give you if you're patient to read through the old ideas that maybe you've heard a thousand times. So here's the backdrop. The people of God have not been spoken to for 400 years. You don't know what this is like. You have God's word. You have the Bible. Anytime you want to open it, this is the story of humanity from beginning all the way to the future end and you know what God's gonna do. They don't have this. God through his prophets has not spoken for 400 years, but there's still a remnant. There's always going to be a small group of people that are like, God, whether you're silent or you're screaming at me, I'm yours, doesn't matter. Whether my church rebels or my church honors God, whether my pastor speaks from the word of God or speaks from a self-help book, it doesn't matter. I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm staying strong. There will always be a remnant, and that's what I'm calling out in all of you, that you would be the remnant that never gives up, that never stops reading the word of God, that never stops praying, even when nothing is seemingly going your way, that we would trust God beyond what hurts right now. And so there's a number of people that are still committed to God. Again, it's been 400 years, and this is the story of two of these honorable individuals and how God is going to end his silence that he's had, again, for 400 years. This is Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read to you the whole story. I'm gonna explain a bit of the story, and then I've got some questions that all of you are gonna wrestle with at your tables for a little bit. Because again, you guys, you know this. You could blink right now, and it could be January. We are about to enter an unbelievably fast-paced season where you're like, okay, I'm gonna go to family, I gotta go to my friends, I gotta go to this Christmas party, I gotta go to this Christmas party, I gotta buy my presents, I gotta receive some presents, I gotta write thank you notes. Oh my gosh, it's February. If you are not careful, if you don't train yourself and demand of yourself that you slow down, you're gonna miss this beautiful season. So I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna demand that on Sunday morning we slow down. We're gonna slow down, we're gonna read the word together, we're gonna worship together in the, in the communication around questions, okay? This is Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. That means a priestly line. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Never say that. <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he went home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. There's a number of different lines in this story that you need to underline. You, you need to own them because there's three key parts to this story that mirror everything that you're going through when you're scared and when you're waiting. So let's walk through this. Here's the first thing that you need to understand. These are good people. These are not just good. These are great people. So my friends that have grown up in the church, I just want to speak to you for a second because I get it. Growing up in the church can be obnoxious. Like when you've been a believer for a long time, you're like, man, sometimes I just don't even want to do this religion thing. I'm just kind of bored with it. Or you think to yourself, I actually do enjoy it. It's been a fun ride. But I wonder, since I've been good this whole time, why is God holding things from me? Why is he saying no to me when he's saying yes to other people? And I don't mean to be a judgmental jerk, but I know that person and I know they sin and I know they're not as good as me at holding to the truths of scripture, okay? You don't need to raise your hand, but we've done this. You look at someone and you're like, I don't hate them. I just know I'm better than they are, okay? I mean, and that's pride, friends. That's not a good thing, but that's starting to rise up and you're like, ah, why am I not getting my turn? These two, here's the first thing that I want you to underline. It said both of them, verse six, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands. But I love this line because they're not getting what they want. So friends, to you that love works, you love righteousness, you love reading the Bible, you love praying, and that's fine, but you start looking at all these good things that you're doing, and you're like, God, why am I not getting my dues, man? I've been doing everything you've said, and God's like, I don't work that way. You will never look at me and command of me that I give you anything simply because you did what I already told you to do. Obedience does not obligate God to do what you want him to do, friends. Your obedience to God is simply your obedience to God. You either do it because you know God is good or you try to manipulate him and go, man, I've done good things, therefore you owe me. I love all of you, but God owes you and he owes me nothing. 
The sooner I learn that, the sooner I can enter into real worship. Because when you worship, knowing that you'll get nothing out of it, you're just worshiping because it's good, that is the truest, most humble, most beautiful form of worship. We worship God because he's good, not because he's going to give us something good. Now, does good come out of it? Yes, it does, often. But don't try to manipulate God to get something out of him. It says that both of them were from the priestly line. I mean, this is Israel's original power couple. This is one of those couples where you're like, yeah, you should be together. Like, you're both beautiful people. You're both successful people. You're both highly functioning individuals. This is a great couple. But something happens to them that in this culture dwarfs even what it would be in your culture. Now, if you get married and you can't have kids, that's hard. It is. But no one looks at you and goes, man, must be sinning. For them, not only do they not have children, but everyone, all the other priests are like, okay, like, I know Zechariah, he's a good dude, but I wonder what he's doing, like, behind closed doors. I, I wonder what sin this guy's committing that God would look at him and his wife and go, nope, barren. He's holding something from them, God is, and he's teaching them something. He's teaching you something. I will not be manipulated. I'm not going to do things for you simply because you did good things. That's fine, but God's like, I don't work that way. So they're scared, friends. They're scared like you when you're, you're not dating and you want to be, or maybe you are dating and you're like, oh my gosh, I should not be doing this. Like, I'm, I'm not, this is not a good relationship and I need to end it. But I don't know, what to, like, like, God, help me. And God's like, nah, I'm just going to be quiet on this one. I'm just going to wait for you. Or you're like, God, would you please change my family? He's like, no. God, God, come on, please, please change my family. No. God, why won't you change? No. And so in those moments when God's consistently saying, no, no, wait for me, wait for me. If you are not careful, you will abandon God before the plan has reached its conclusion. You don't know what hangs in the balance of you deciding to be obedient or not. You don't know what hung in the balance for Zechariah. What hung in the balance for him deciding to be consistent? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. The man that would precede Jesus and perform miracles and call people to repentance, preparing the way for Jesus. That hung in the balance. Here's the thing. I need you guys to develop such a clear vision for who you are, who God is, and what you want that's so beautiful, you maintain consistency. Here's the second line that you need to underline. It's this. In verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, your prayer has been heard. You wanna know what I love about this text? He doesn't say which one. He doesn't say which prayer. Like man, Gabriel, was it the prayer I prayed on Monday morning because that was a good one. That was a really good prayer. It's like, I, I don't know. Was it the prayer on Tuesday? I know it was short, but it was still good. That was a good one. Was it the prayer when I was crying? Because there was a lot of emotion in that one. Was it that one? He doesn't tell you. So you know, two th you know three things actually about Zechariah. Number one, you know that he was righteous. Okay? He's not being punished for sin. God does that. But this isn't it. You also know that he was childless. So there's the longing. There's the desire. For you, it's the clarity. It's the, the purpose, the mission. It's a relationship. It's a job. Whatever it is, you have a longing. And God's still saying no. So he was righteous, he has a longing, but here's the third thing that you know. He never stopped praying. I love you guys, right? Rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. How many of you have stopped praying? You've stopped. 
What, what was the prayer? Was it so scary that you prayed it maybe one time and God said no or maybe just didn't say anything and you're like, man, must not be important. I'm just going to stop. I, I don't want to pray anymore because that hurt. That hurt to be said no to. Why'd you stop? What was the prayer? Was it for your mom? Like, Lord Jesus, like, turn her around. Why'd you stop? Was it for a sibling that's rebelling hard and making fun of you for being a Jesus follower? Like, God, I'm just tired of my brother always insulting me. I'm tired of my sister nagging me or, or making fun of me at the dinner table. I'm just tired of it. And so you stopped. Or some of you, like one of my favorite things to do, and I was telling this to the Corbin baseball team the other day, when you start thinking about a spouse, how many of you were praying for whoever that was, but then it didn't manifest itself in any real person, so you stopped? Why would you stop praying for your spouse? You're like, well, Tyler, I don't know who they are. So? I remember praying for my spouse, and I remember there was a year, and I was 17, so from my 17th birthday to my 18th birthday, I prayed for my wife every single day. I did not miss one. And I learned later, that was the year that her dad abandoned the family and went into drug rehab because he loved drugs more than he loved his kids. And that was the year she was by herself. That was the year dad was gone. Why'd you stop praying for your spouse, friends? What if this is the most hellish year of their life and they need you to commit to praying? Like, but I don't know what they're going through. Doesn't matter. Pray for their wisdom. Pray for their protection. Pray that they would find you. Pray that God would keep them safe till they find you and then it's your job to keep them safe. Pray that God would give them insight to difficult situations. Pray that God would, would give them new skills, new, new wisdom, new knowledge, whatever it is. Let's not stop praying. One for me is for my brother, my brother-in-law. When I met him, it was like a couple weeks into my relationship with Audrey and my soon or future uncle-in-law was in the room with my brother-in-law and they were talking about music because my brother-in-law is very gifted. He has an incredible voice and he can play the guitar like no one I've ever seen, memorizes thousands of songs and just calls them to memory and just starts playing them. I'm like, I don't know how your mind works. But within a couple weeks of meeting him, he's sitting there in a room and he's talking about the song that he wrote. And at the time he was in a horribly demonic band and the song was about killing God. And I looked at my girlfriend, who is now my wife, but I looked at her and I was like, are you worth this? Because this is scary stuff. Like, I don't want to tell him what I do. Like, hey man, I'm a pastor on the side and you're talking about killing my boss. This is awkward. And so I just committed at that moment, Lord, I'm not going to change his mind with information. I need you to get into his soul and just mess with it. I need you to break him. I have not stopped praying for my brother-in-law for over a decade. Over 10 years. So I'm not trying to insult you. What beautiful dream or vision or, or person are you praying for that you stopped praying for? You stopped, and God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, like, come on, you're a week away from, an, uh, from a miracle happening. Or maybe God's like, hey, you're 10 years away from a miracle, but that doesn't make it any less amazing. Where'd you stop? Here's what's funny. Here's how the story ends. So he goes on, and the angel says, hey, you're gonna have a baby. He's like, ah, sure. He goes, my wife is old, man. And this is great because 
here's how, I love how God treats people. This is, and it's not fair at all. So he goes to Zechariah, male, if you hadn't guessed that, and he's like, hey, you're gonna have a baby. And he's like, uh, no, but how? How am I gonna have a baby? And he's like, hey, how dare you question me? I'm gonna make you mute for nine months. You wanna know who says the exact same question? Mary. He's like, you're gonna have a baby. She's like, how can this be? And he's like, oh, sweetheart, let me explain it. <laughs> what? Tell me men and women aren't different. God's like, dude, you should have known better. Like, oh, sweetheart, it's okay. I'll explain it. <laughs> what the heck? Like, Mary got to go worship. She got to go walk around telling everyone, even though she really didn't. She kind of kept it secret. But she could have said something. And God looks at Zechariah, and he's like, nope, mute, nine months. Try explaining to your significant other that they're going to have a baby with no words. Just knock yourself out like, <laughs> and here is one of my favorite parts of the entire story. So she's pregnant with John the Baptist. When the baby is born, the Bible says that those asking said, now his name's going to be Zechariah, right? Because it was tradition that your firstborn son would have your first name. And he goes, that's not his name. His name's John. And he wrote that down. He wrote his name is John. He still couldn't speak. The moment he penned the word John, God unlocked his mouth. And he talked again. For some of you, I get it. You're muted right now. You're hurting. You're like, God, I, I do love you. I do. But you're not moving at the pace that I want you to. Like, why wouldn't you say yes to me in this? It's a good thing. And God's like, I, I need something else from you. Those of you that are scared because you're single and you don't want to be, God's like, do you know that I'm enough for you? And I'm, I mean, it's not a stupid, glib church thing to say. God's like, no, you want this other human being because you feel lonely inside and you think that's going to fix you. Friends, I've been married for over a decade. I can tell you one of the loneliest positions to be is when you and your spouse are, are at a quarrel and yet it's permanent. They're like, I'm not leaving. Like, if you have a huge fight and you're dating, you're like, man, this really did not work out. Let's split up. Okay, split up, you're fine. But when you're married and you're sleeping in the same bed and you don't want to talk to one another, there's very few things scarier than that. Do not get married because you're scared. Don't get married because you're lonely. Don't get married because you want more romance. God's like, I got all of that in spades for you. I got all of that for you. I need you to trust me. You're gunning for human relationships when I want a spiritual relationship with you. Here's why I'm saying, no, you don't understand this yet. And if you don't understand this, you're going to screw this up. You're going to screw it up. You're going to find a perfect person, and you're going to bulldoze them. Some of you are like, God, I want you to change my family. He's like, uh-uh. Why would God say no to that? Why would God say no to redeeming someone's heart and changing them? He's like, because I'm working on you first. You want me to change them so that you would love them. He goes, I want you to love them and then I'll change them later. I want you to learn how to love stubborn, angry, almost borderline evil people. I want you to figure it out because if you don't figure it out, all you're gonna do for the rest of your life is you're gonna pray for ease. Like, oh man, God, difficult person, change them. God's like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna change you first. And it's gonna be long and arduous and painful. Buckle up. 
There's so many different moments, guys, where God genuinely wants to work on you and you, you have your blinders on. You're like, no, I don't need any work. I've been doing what I was told. Change them. They're the ones disobeying. And God's like, I'll get them. I'll get them. I'll work on them later. I'm working on you first. Here's what I want to do with all of you. Here's some questions. I know that they're kind of small, but you all got good eyes. And if you're listening online, write this down. Here's the first one. Why does perseverance require courage? Like, what are we so afraid of? God is looking at you, and he's given you a long run, right? He's given you something way beyond you, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to need you to hold on. What are we afraid of him doing? Like, when God says no, why do we get so upset? I want you to wrestle with that. Like, what are we afraid he's going to do or not do in us or for us? Question two, how do we change the character of God as we wait? What horrible ideas are we projecting on God that aren't true? Like, what lies are we believing about our king because we're upset? Question three, have you ever been confused on the path God has for you? And what are your tendencies when you wait on the Lord? And here's a couple examples. When you're waiting on the Lord, do you pray or do you give up already? Do you run away? You're like, I, you know, church, eh, relationship, eh, Bible study, eh, and you just run. You're like, I feel better when no one's convicting me. Here's another one. Do you get mad? Here's another one. Do you make problems worse? Like maybe you are in a really difficult situation, but then in your pride and your anger and your short-sightedness, you just make it infinitely worse. Do we make false promises to ourselves or God? Like, Lord, if you get me out of this one or if you change this person, I promise I'm never going to sin again, ever. God's like, you're an idiot. Do you seek wise counsel? When you're hurting is one of the first things you do to call someone that you know, like not a perfect person, but you're like, hey, look, I need your help. I'm hurting or I messed up. Like, help me, please. Or are you so embarrassed that you're like, no, I, I don't want them to know that I messed up. And so you hide. Here's the fourth question. Do you think it was hard for Zechariah, I put Zechariah's, but that should say Zechariah, to believe that God saw him and answered his prayer? Like when, when Gabriel, this is the, probably the funniest part of the story, besides him being mute, is an angel shows up and he's like, I don't know if God heard me. Like if an angel shows up to you and you question him, like you clearly have not been listening to me for a number of years. If the angel shows up, you're like, okay, we're going somewhere. He still questions it, and Gabriel's right in front of him. But, but friends, you do get it. What about you? What in your heart do you think would lead you to do the same thing? If you were visited by an angel, and he was like, hey, I'm gonna, God's going to answer your prayer. You're like, no. Number five, what hangs in the balance of you deciding to be faithful? What hangs in the balance of you deciding to keep praying. See, what's, what's really sad to me is, is a number of you ask me, and, and everyone's got to go through this hurdle, right? I'm not insulting you. I did the same thing. But you come to me, and you're like, Tyler, look, I'm, I'm not perfect. I know that, but I'm doing the things I need to. I'm going to Bible study. I'm reading the Word. I'm, I'm praying. I'm in relationship with people, and God's still saying no. Like, what, what, what more do I need to do? And I'm like, nothing. Do the same thing you've been doing, but do it tomorrow. And then do it the day after that. And then do it the day after that. And the week after that. And the month after that. And the year after that. 
Good things do not stop being good things when we don't get what we want. God didn't stop being good. Prayer didn't stop being powerful. Journaling didn't start being stupid. It's, it's, these are beautiful things. Don't stop them because you're scared. One of the best things for you in this Christmas season, again, is to slow yourself down. Read this same story again and again and again and go, Lord, what are you trying to teach me right now about waiting? What are you trying to teach me about prayer? Let me pray for you. Father, I want to lift up all of my friends. I, just, I pray, God, that you would keep them safe. Um, I pray for those that are waiting right now, and, and they've, been, they've been doing waiting wrong. They've been angry with you. They've been shaking their fist at you. They've been running away from you to other, other gods that might fill them. Um, I, I pray, God, that you would just hold them close. You're not here to shame them, nor am I. You're here to let them know that, that you love them. You endured this kind of temptation, too. You pleaded, Lord Jesus, with your heavenly Father to, to take away the task that you needed to do, but eventually you submitted. So part of, part of our waiting story, we see it in the story of the cross and we see it in redemption. So what, what redemptive role might we play in a relationship, God, that we're, almost, we're trying to pray it away, we're trying to wish it away when there's something beautiful that you have for us. So God, I pray for those that are hurting in relationship that you would give them strength. I pray for those that are running from relationship that you would draw them close. I pray for those that are in unhealthy relationship, God, that you would pull them apart. I pray for this Christmas season that we wouldn't let it slip by, that we would just plant ourselves deep in you and that you would train us in intimacy and faith this Christmas season. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.